Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now, City Slickers with Chuck and Victoria. Two judgmental New Yorkers talking movies. Welcome to City Slickers. I'm Victoria Keelan. I'm here with Chuck Curry, my buddy, my fellow New Yorker. This is our very first episode of City Slickers with Chuck and Victoria. We are so excited to be here. We've been talking about this. How many months has it been now, Chuck? Many a month, and I, I, I feel a 10-year run coming. <laughs> I love it. Hey, you know, if you're going to plan something, you might as well plan big, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, so let's, let's, give a, let's give everybody a little bit of a background of who we are and why we're here and what we're doing together. Um, what is your background, Chuck? Just so I call you my movie guru. So what does that translate to? You want to know all the facts about my background or just the movie-related uh, stuff? You know, I mean, you, we can start with your favorite color if you want, but I think maybe stick to co- the movie. My, my favorite color is green, but in general, I've been doing a uh, radio spot on the uh, Doug Steffen uh, radio program for 24 years. And just to give you a little bit of a background, I used to listen to an overnight radio show out of, I believe it was Scranton, Pennsylvania. It was the only overnight radio talk show that's solely based on movie. it was movies. It was with a host named Larry Katz. So I thought did a really good job. I was tweaking changing the channels on my radio station one night, came across his broadcast. I thought it was very intriguing. I thought the guy was extremely knowledgeable, did a great job. Actually, I became his last caller, and I really, that was the first time I ever called into a radio talk show. I called in, and I wound up being his last caller because the next week, his show went defunct after a few-year run. I think the the station wound up changing formats from... uh, basically regular talk radio to a um, music-oriented standpoint. But I really dug what the guy was doing. So I went on a business trip with a company that I work for, and there was a lot of different marketing people at this uh, at this uh, di- dinner table. It was Sacramento, California. And I wound up speaking to uh, Doug Steffen, who was a radio talk show host, and I pitched him the idea of me wanting to do a radio spot on movies because I had a lot of bit of a lot of movie knowledge. I love movies in general. I was somewhat opinionated, and I pitched somewhat. him the idea. <laughs> yeah, so I pitched him the idea of doing this radio spot on his show, having no idea what his reaction would be. We struck up a pretty good conversation. Thought Doug was a good guy. We had a bond. I thought there was electricity in the air. Well, maybe that's going a little bit too far. <laughs> <laughs> and what happened is Doug wound up calling me a couple days later. He said, "You know, I gave it some thought." And I, I let's let's do, let's do it. And I went up going on the air with him. I cultivated a five minute a day spot. And I'll tell you an interesting story. First day I go on the air, never did this before. Ed McMahon was on the air as a guest. With oh, Doug. right, right. And, Doug and Ed McMahon were good friends. And to say my nervous system went into overdrive <laughs> would be un- an understatement. So the first few months, I sort of went by a format, and then once I got my footing, I sort of branched into what I wanted to do in terms of being more diverse, going from box office totals to general movie news, or just talk about different things in the industry's trends, what I, what I like to see, what was happening. And yeah. uh, it's hard to believe, but 24 years later, I'm still doing it. And that's how I found uh, the connection with you and how we sort of brainstormed doing this uh, idea of a podcast, which uh, I'm very excited to be doing. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. You and I both, uh, Doug Steffen is our connector, and I joined Doug's morning show. It's called On Air with Doug, Jen, and Victoria, the DJV show, and I joined that about a year and a half ago. So when it's the first time I heard you and I heard the accent from Brooklyn, I was like, yes, that's my guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> I lo- that guy is, that guy, we need to be doing something together. It took us a little while, but we're finally here, and we're finally launching City Slickers, which, of course, is kind of a double entendre. You and I both talked about liking the movie City Slickers. I love the movie. I, listen, uh, if you're a Billy Crystal fan, um, you know, there's when Harry Met Sally, but for me, City Slickers, which came out in 1989, I think it's an absolutely perfect movie 
So I'm very proud to uh, be using that title. You and I both are New Yorkers. We are city slickers. So we'll have uh, we'll be sharing our opinions, our movie news. I mean, the whole point of doing the City Slickers podcast is to give you a little bit of a slice of New York sarcasm. Um, we love you and I both love movie history and the history of film. The history of New York City is something that we both really love. And so there's so much culture and iconic films that have been filmed in New York City, and we will eventually we'll hopefully get to all of them over the next 10 years that we'll be doing this together. <laughs> so now that we know who we are, let's move on. Let's get into, we've got some movie news and Chuck is our, is our movie guru. And so uh, what's going on? What's the latest with the movie news in Hollywood? We've got some Hollywood gossip that we'll give you every episode. We also will be giving our personal reviews. Chuck has decided to review things from rated on a scale of one to five zombies. I will be rating on a scale of one to five glasses of wine. So that will be a little bit later on. We're also going to touch on our favorite Halloween movies since we're, it's that time of year again. And we, you and I both love Halloween. A great time of year. Absolutely. I love October. Uh, I love Halloween films. I love uh, horror for the most part. And um, let's get going. Here's uh, some movie news of interest that will bounce off if you give me your opinion. Uh, Warner Brothers came out with uh, the running time of uh, Justice League, the new incarnation, which is going to team Batman, Superman, Flash, Wonder Woman, uh, all in one feature film. It's going to be two hours, which is going to be the shortest movie in the DC universe. They've uh, had uh, Man of Steel with Henry Cavill, Batman v Superman, which was uh, two hours and 45 minutes, and then uh, Suicide Squad, a movie that another one of the films which met, mix, uh, met with a somewhat mixed reaction. I think the running time on that was two and a half hours. Wonder Woman was a complete home run this summer. Running time on that, I believe, was over two and a half hours. So Justice League is going to come in at two hours running time, which I think is probably uh, good news for theater owners. Certainly going to get more show times for that. Uh, if you look at the advertising campaign so far, heavy emphasis on Wonder Woman and Batman. No sign of uh, Henry Cavill Superman as That's of right. yet, at least in the marketing. But uh, clearly, from all accounts, there's no doubt uh, he is, it's a fact. He plays a prominent role in this movie. And i got to ask you a question, uh, because Superman, a lot of people are so ingrained in the Christopher Reeve incarnation of Superman, myself included. I think the 70 version directed by Richard Donner is easily one of the best superhero movies ever made. I, I think it's a masterpiece, followed by Superman 2, the Richard Lester version, which came out a few years later. In a lot of respects, plays like one long movie. But Christopher Reeve was a great, great He was Superman. great. I think the tone of those films was very much different in a different era where Superman was basically all-American, mm-hmm. uh, big-hearted, uh, a much lighter universe, and I think what yeah. they did with Henry Cavill Superman is inject him into a much darker realm, and certainly to make Batman a viable uh, character in Batman v Superman, I think they had to make that universe much darker, which led the Superman character be a little bit darker in tone, which a lot of fans had a mixed feeling about, but what's your opinion of Henry Cavill as uh, Superman Clark Kent as a whole? Well, the the girl answer is he's hot, so that okay. works. <laughs> but the first when I did see the first Superman that he was in, Man of Steel, I know a lot of a lot of my friends saw it and they they were kind of like, "Eh, it was okay. He was good, but the movie was kind of eh." And I I could see that. I thought it was a little preposterous, Lois Lane up in space, and I thought that was a little too much. But I and I thought Amy Adams, and I hate to say this, but I thought Amy Adams just looked awkward with him. And I think, and even though they don't have much of an age difference, to me, she just looked and seemed a lot older than he she did. She is older though. She is old. I think she's five years older. But see, five years shouldn't make a difference. Like no. she, to me, she played like she was fifteen years older. Like I, there's something, and I like Amy Adams, but there was something just that kind of didn't click there for me. I think I wish it was a different Lois Lane. But I did really like. I thought he carried the movie really well. Um, and I and I thought I thought I was when we go to the next step when when it was Batman versus Superman. I thought that was like the most preposterous thing that I've ever even heard of I was just like wait what why are in what universe do they exist together and I don't really know the answer but I did like the movie it it actually worked so I don't know if that was a comic where they were originally together do you know the backstory of that 
Yeah, I mean, it was a com- it was a uh, infamous comic written by uh, Frank Miller um, that was very well received, and mo- most of the components from that comic were injected into the storyline of Batman, Batman v Superman. You know, that's one of those movies that sort of perplexes me in the fact that I feel like I saw something different than a lot of people uh, seen. Uh, the it's a very polarizing film, Batman v Superman. The theatrical cut was two hours and forty five minutes. Zack Snyder unleashed a Blu-ray cut of three hours, uh, which fleshes... Well, the theatrical cut, excuse me, was two and a half hours. The, the Blu-ray cut under Zack Snyder's direction was three hours, which fleshes out, of a, which fleshes out a lot of the Clark Kent storyline, and it really humanizes a character yeah. a lot better. I like the theatrical cut actually a lot, and I really love the three-hour cut, which is uh, currently on Blu-ray... And streaming, so I saw something in that film that I liked a lot, and I still stand by the point that I fully believe that Batman v Superman in ten to fifteen years is going to have an immense cult following simply because it will be the darkest we've ever we ever see Batman on film. From all accounts, the mm. Bruce Wayne Batman character in Justice League is going to be lightened up substantially, which I had mixed feelings about. I am looking forward to see Henry Cavill Superman return in that film, and hopefully we get a little bit of a Superman that is a little bit closer in tone to what Christopher Reeve did. Now, having said that, I accept what uh, Zack Snyder did docking up Superman around the edges. I think for the most part it worked. I'm a big fan of the Man of Steel, except for that one fight scene toward the end, which I think goes on way too long. Yes, and it I think was long. They, they, I think they just made it that long because it's they easy could. and accessible <laughs> To be sold to overseas markets. I think China, mm. the China market likes action, and they gave them action on steroids with that scene. Yeah. But uh, I think Justice League is a very important film in the overall DC Marvel, uh, DC, excuse me, Warner Brothers canon because Warner, uh, Wonder Woman was so good and yeah. so well received that I think it's important that Justice League be yeah. a good movie. Well, let's, I so think, let's keep our fingers crossed on that. And I think that they were so smart with Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman was so incredible. I was just obsessed with it. I've seen it three times. I love it. And that's making me, she is making me want to see Justice League now. I also am a big fan of The Flash, the TV show. So even though it's not the same actor, which is a shame because I do think they should have given uh, Grant Gust a chance, but you know, whatever. They never seem to cross over TV with movies. But if it's a two hours, I think that's going to be good. Maybe that's going to be like the platform to spin all of the those characters off into their next, you know, solo thing. So I think that'll be cool. And so they what? Just uh, wrapped up, and they just wrapped up filming on uh, Aquaman. Or, or again, Aquaman. Uh, I forgot to mention is also in Justice League. And then sometime next year, it looks like they're going to go into production on Wonder Woman two under mm-hmm. the same direction of Patty Jenkins, who I think did Great. an amazing job. Yep. On the original f- film, I and mean, we could talk about Gal Gadot, how good she was for the next uh, two hours, but she really <laughs> is. Yeah, uh, a, a perfect uh, Princess Diana, Wonder Woman. I think she's got all the intangibles of something very special uh, on screen as an actress. One other bit of movie news of interest: Star Wars: The Last Jedi, which opens on December fifteenth, Christmas time. Pretty nice Christmas gift, tracking at a two hundred and fifteen million dollar opening weekend. It's really interesting when you look back at film. All the franchises we've had over the years, some have really stood the test of time. I mean, you got the James Bond movies, which have gone from the 1960s up into uh, current day. Batman now is an existing universe since 1989. I've spoken many times about the Rocky universe and how amazing it is for a character that started in a 1976 movie as an independent, low-budget film about an underdog boxer named Rocky Balboa still being a franchise now with Sylvester Stallone going to return for Creed Which is so good. Creed was, I mean, mean, we need to, Creed for one second, I mean, if if we haven't recommended that already highly enough on our individual social media chains, at Poseidon72 for Chucker and at On Air Victoria for me, that is a movie that surprised me like no other movie has. I had never fully seen any of the Rockies. My my husband is constantly watching Rocky. Every time it's on TV, he'll watch it again and again. I never had any interest, but I saw Creed, and I'm in. I'm in for, if they want to do another six, I'm in. I thought it was just phenomenal. And it, struck, it really struck me what a great actor Still, Sylvester Stallone really is. He was subtle. There was a lot of nuance in it. I, I just can't say enough things about it. And I thought the... Uh, 
the, who was the guy who played young Apollo or whatever his name Michael was? B. Michael B. Jordan. He was phenomenal. His girlfriend yeah, was incredible. Good. I love that subplot. I, I thought it was really something for everybody. It was a great movie. I agree with you. And it was directed by uh, Ryan uh, Coogler, who uh, got the directorial reins of uh, Marvel's uh, The Black Panther and other superhero movies. He's not going to be directing Creed Two. Sylvester Stallone is not only going to direct it. Oh, good. But, uh, he 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 wrote he wrote the script. So we'll see where that goes. But uh, my point is that Star Wars, of all the franchises over time, nothing radiates and almost has a symbolic religious aspect to the Star Wars. Uh, mystique. There's just nothing like it. Uh, I loved The Force Awakens. I thought that was a terrific uh, yes. uh, oh, movie yes. directed by J.J. Abrams, who's going to direct another Star Wars movies, but movie. Is but he directing have... The Last Jedi? He's not directing The Last Jedi. Uh, Ron Howard's directing uh, Han Solo, a Star Wars movie which comes out next summer, but J.J. Abrams is going to direct the next installment Okay. In the Star Trek, uh, Star Wars franchise, which I think that's really good news because I think he's a solid, solid director, knows the material, respects the material, and uh, is just a perfect fit for that uh, material. One other thing. Well, well one, one, one. Hang on, one second. One other quick thing about the Star Wars movie, the, the Last Jedi, is uh, on social media. It's now starting to trend. My dad is from Ireland, and all my family is still there. And that mm-hmm. island, where when you see that first scene of uh in the in the last jedi when mark hamill is as luke skywalker is on that little rocky island that's an Mm -hmm. island that's off of the southwest coast of ireland that has now seen such a boom in tourism and it's an ecological island which you know it kind of looks like a movie set it doesn't look like it's actually real you know but it 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 is and and they only allow i think 280 people at, at one time are allowed on the island because it's a nature preserve and they have seen such an incredible spike in tourism and people wanting to charter boats because you can only get to it on a charter and it is unbelievable like the global effect of star wars it's even affecting tourism now and it's kind of like the harry potter films where a lot of them were filmed on the west coast of ireland too and and people are so rabid for these films and these characters they just want to go and be where they were shot and i think it's really cool to move a lot of that stuff off of sound stages onto real locations because it's you know it's it's a boom for the tourist industry I agree with you, and uh, I'm actually glad for Mark Hamill, who's going to uh, basically get back big time in the limelight, uh, yeah. being a major presence in this new Star Wars uh, film, Well, he's had a good turn on The Flash. He's had, on The Flash on the CW, he's had, that was that's where I first saw him again after seeing Star Wars. I didn't know where he's been all these years, and well, I'm he's sure done he's a been... Lot of, he's done a lot of voice work in animated uh, stuff. Actually, uh, has been acclaimed as a voice of uh, the Joker in some of the Batman animated uh, stuff that they've done uh, over the last uh, 10 or 15 years. So, mm. Mark Hamill has worked, but uh, obviously he's not had the uh, career that, uh, you know, other other counterparts from the original series. Well, like Harrison Ford, yeah. Right. I mean, I don't know if Mark Hamill... I mean, he, I don't I don't see why there wouldn't be a reason why he could have had a career like that, but I guess it just didn't go that way. But it, you're right. I mean, to be resurrected in, you know, one of the most iconic roles really in the history of film is Luke Skywalker. And it's so many generations now. I mean, that first Star Wars was what, late 70s? 1977. Here's another... So then you've got so many in- different people. And here's another point of view, uh, and I'll get your opinion on this, which I find interesting. Somebody pointed out, I was reading on the net, that every villain in a Star Wars movie on the poster was the top of the poster, like Darth Vader. Every poster they did was uh, up top. Darth Maul in in, in the first uh, Lucas uh, prequel was the top of the poster. And the newest poster for The uh, Last Jedi, Mark Hamill's uh, Luke Skywalker, is the top of the poster, so th- does that mean that Luke Skywalker is going to go to the dark side and be oh. filming for this latest installment? I I think. Listen, it, my gut feeling tells me that's going to be the case, and I think that is going to create uh, not that these movies need any more buzz, but once that does get out upon the initial release in the opening weekend, that's just going to create uh, more and more buzz yeah. for this film. And it, it, you know, it's interesting, you know, because you you know marketing like I know marketing. 
does Disney or Lucasfilm even have to spend really one dime marketing a new Star Wars movie? I mean, I know social media is really the the forefront of where they spend a lot of marketing dollars these days, but they'll probably still spend $30 million to market the film and TV and radio and so on and so forth, but... People are going to go see. I mean, you don't need to spend money to market a Star Wars movie. People know no. it's coming out, and they're going to line up. Yeah, that's to see true. It on uh, for the first month. That's true. And let's get to. We've got one more bit of uh, movie news, and then we're going to get into some Halloween stuff. So the new trailer, which you sent me, the Commuter with Liam Neeson, that looks mind blowing. What do you know it about that really, movie? It, it looks really good. It's from the director of uh, Nonstop, which is another Liam Neeson movie mm-hmm. that took place on a. Uh, uh, on an air on an airplane, that same director, uh, his name is uh, I think Jean Calat Sierra is a Spanish director. Directed the movie The Shallows, which is a nice surprise hit. That was uh, a good summer, movie. I like that. Movie yeah. starring Blake Lively. I like that yeah. film a lot. This trailer is really good. Liam Neeson plays an insurance salesman who meets a mysterious passenger played by Vera Formega. Many might know her from the George Clooney movie Up in the Air, also the Conjuring movies, and she was the star of uh, A&E's Bates Motel. Tells Liam Neeson in the trailer that there's $75,000 in cash in the bathroom, and you have to uh, uh, find a hidden passenger of interest uh, if you want the money. it's a very compelling trailer. A movie comes out in January. Liam Neeson gave an interview not long ago that this would be his last forte into action, but uh, then a few days later signed on to do another action movie. Yeah. You know, his career's <laughs> been really interesting because he's a fantastic actor. I mean, he is a guy who starred in Schindler's List, uh, a great actor who really has since taken sort of filled out that Charles Bronson-like mystique into a uh, new generation. He's doing some of the stuff that Charles Bronson did in the 1980s. I mean, as an actor, Liam Neeson's a better actor than Charles Bronson, but Charles Bronson certainly had a really unique, interesting, and I think terrific screen presence back in the day. But uh, I like the stuff Liam Neeson does in action, and I look forward to this movie. It's titled The Commuter comes out this January. So if people want to see the trailer, go on YouTube. It's uh, actually really well done. And we'll post it, too, on uh, all of our social media uh, for City Slickers Pod is at City Slickers Pod on Twitter, at City Slickers Pod on Facebook, and same thing with Instagram. And so we'll post that. uh, We'll be periodically posting a lot of movie news and things like that because so much stuff comes up during the week. We want to make sure that we keep you guys informed. So we'll have all of that on our social media. Make sure you check us out at City Slickers Pod. Also on blogtalkradio.com slash City Slickers Pod is where you can subscribe to us, and it will magically appear in your feed. You don't even need to do anything. So now the name City Slickers. Obviously, we're both New Yorkers. You with that fabulous Brooklyn accent of yours that I always talk I about. Know, I haven't noticed, really. <laughs> uh, but we've said that we wanted to do... Don't tell dedi- my wife. She doesn't know I have an accent. <laughs> we want to dedicate a little bit of time every week to our hometown. And so this week... We, you have picked a movie moment for us, a New York City movie moment that is perfectly in keeping with Halloween. And of course, over the next few weeks, we're also going to be talking about other different horror genres and things like that. But I think Amityville Horror is the most perfect movie, a New York movie that we could start with from 1979. I love this movie. I was I had no idea what to expect when I first saw it, but I really, really love it. So what's the what's the backstory on Amityville Horror? You know, I'll tell you a quick story from my own uh, personal recollection. I don't know what year it was when I was when I was very young, growing up in Brooklyn, New York. There was a newspaper which is still in existence, the Daily News, and on Sunday, the Daily News used to be a really big newspaper, and they had a middle section, and it had to be sometime late in '77 because it was a book uh, originally based on this subject matter that I think was written. Uh, or dictated uh, as a source material by Kathy Lutz, who her and her husband George bought this dream house in Amityville, Long Island, and they didn't know that there was a murder in this house, uh, a shotgun murder, a year before. And the story goes, in her recollection, that there was all sorts of horrific incidents in this house, that it was haunted, and uh, it wound up driving them out of the house on a very scary night, one night uh, during a a rainstorm, which is uh, recollected in the feature film, which stars James Brolin, 
in Margaret Kidder. So to make a long story short, sometime before 79, it might have been 79, there was a newspaper article that gave, it was like the whole middle section that basically recounted this story. I think it was to preview the movie. And I remember my father picking up the newspaper, showing it to me, showing me this story about the Amityville Horror. And I read it, and it really stoked me. And I found it very, you know, creepy because back in the day, before social media and before the innovation of so many cable networks and so much information that's literally rammed down our throat, when you read a story like this, it had more of a psychological effect. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. And then the movie comes out in 1979. Critics were very mixed on it, but audiences showed up in droves. This movie made a lot of money. It was released by a, a independent called American International Distribution. It was one of the highest grossing independent films of the time. I love the musical score to it. I actually dig the movie. I think it holds up. I think it's a, a good movie. It's creepy. I actually think... Uh, um, uh, Brolin, uh, the the lead in this movie, is really good. I think he's a really good actor, currently married to uh, Barbara Streisand. But I thought he did a really good job in his part of George Luntz, guy who basically was going insane living in this house. Margaret Kidder was good as Kathy Lutz. Rod Steiger played the, the, the priest. A lot of people have an issue with, uh, if you remember the scene with all those flies in the room. Oh, yeah. Movie. Some people like it, some people don't. I think the movie overall is effective, but... It took place, the story, in Amityville, Long Island. It has part of a lore in terms of New York City history, in terms of, uh, of, of a story. Years later, the story was obviously debunked as being all made up. Although, if you want to take it literally as a story, I, I think it's effective in the Amityville Horror from 1979. Uh, I think it's a pretty good movie. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I think it's entertaining. I mean, was I the only one who was nervous the dog wasn't that they were going to leave the dog behind? <laughs> I'm such an animal lover I, I at the end. <laughs> I love that scene. I love that. It's actually, it's, if I call him Josh, it's James Brown. I love that scene during the rainstorm yep. when they get in the car, get the two kids, let's get the heck out of this house. They drive down the block, and all of a sudden, James Brolin hits the brake, stops short. I got to go back, goes back in the house. If you remember, he's going down the sca- stairs, all that tar yeah. is leaking. Down, down the stairs, picks up the dog, gets out of the house. I mean, I have to assume back in the day in, in, in that year, people watching that in the theater, people had to be on the edge of the seat because when you involve a dog emotionally, yep. it really gets to you. And That's I thought true. That scene, I thought that scene, uh, I thought that scene worked. And 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 you know, it's whether it's a made-up story or not, it works as a film. And it's a it's yeah. a creepy story. It's basically a standard haunted house movie, but good cast. Uh, New York related, and um, I liked it. And you know, and and the the true part of that is that there were in 1974 there were a series of murders in the house. A 23 year old son, Ronald DeFeo Jr., was right. his name, shot and killed his parents and his four siblings as they were asleep. So that it, part of it was true. The haunting, absolutely. Uh, and, and, if, and, and if you look at the, the they did a, numerous sequels. In part two, is a prequel. That's what that part, part two is about. It's about the that actual family and the real real murder. Yeah, uh, Burt Young, who played Paulie in the Rocky movies, uh, played the father in that uh, in in that prequel, which uh, came out a few years after. Well, it's I would definitely add that one too. That's a gr- I think it's a classic horror movie. I think it's really good suspense. There's not too much gore because I'm not really a fan of the gore, but I I think that that I think it holds up. I, I think it's a great movie. And again, talking about tourism, like from the Last Jedi, <laughs> that house, which is the address they say is 108 Ocean Avenue in uh, Amityville, Long Island, that house has more people driving up to it because it's right on the street. It's an old Dutch colonial, and people take pictures in front of it all the time and numerous times it's been sold and I think it was even just last year was on the market again for like 580,000 and it just wow. it, people don't want to live there because so many people know about it in New York and Long Island and they want to you know kids show up on Halloween and it's a whole big thing so it's it's interesting how it, it's kind of negatively affected the real estate value of the actual house let alone why would you want to live in a murder house anyway but exactly I think that I more, more than the value of what I pay buy or sell for it 
I, I just don't think I'd want to live there. All right. So now let's get into some of our favorite Halloween movies. You and I have been talking back and forth and texting each other which movies we like and what we think holds up for Halloween. And it's not necessarily movies about Halloween that we decided we would use. We're each going to have a top five, but we kind of decided let's do a mix of movies that are Halloween themed maybe and a, and a mix of movies that we really like watching at this time of year. So, Chucker, I think you should go first with your list. I'm anxious to hear what you landed on for your top five. Let's go five to one. Five to one, I'm going to go with... Uh, I went with Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1978, directed by Philip Coleman. I love this movie. I think this is one of the best films of the uh, 1970s. Great cast, Donald Sutherland, Brooke Adams, who uh, was very appealing, co-starred The Dead Zone with Christopher Walken back in uh, 1980. Jeff Goldblum's in this movie, Lennon Nimoy... And while this movie's been done at least a handful of times, it was done in 56 with Kenneth Moore. Another version that I like, it was done in uh, 1993, a movie called Body Snatchers, directed by Abel Ferrara, starring an actress named Gabriel Anwar. I like that version, and I really like the 2005 version with Nicole Kidman, simply titled Invasion. Critics were not kind to that film, but I don't know what it is about the concept, but I like it. And basically... Uh, the what atmosphere. is it about? Give us a quick, because I've never seen it. I don't know anything about it. So what is, what's the, the synopsis? In this version, Donald Sutherland plays a health inspector mm-hmm. and slowly finds out that people are being replaced by alien pods and their bodies being duplicated. Um, and as the movie goes on, it gains more and more of a sense of dread. Um this is a downbeat film. It's not an upbeat film. But of all the versions of this story, to me, this one resonates the most powerfully. I think it's beautifully directed. I think the acting is top-notch. And what's interesting, actors like Dennis, Donald Sutherland, who were terrific actors, were able to lead films in 1978. It's unlikely you'd see an actor like Donald Sutherland, especially since he's not the classic good-looking leading man leading a movie now into 2017. I mean, if they redone this movie again, which again, I think Warner Brothers is contemplating yet another remake, you'll probably get an actor like a Brad Pitt or, or somebody of, of, of a different... More like a leading man type. No, more of a leading man type. And I think Donald Sutherland was a terrific character actor that did very well as a leading man. But this movie just has a really solid sense of dread. Uh, It's very well acted. The storyline is fascinating. And it's so topical because it's just interesting how people's personas, the way you look at people, their thought process, the way you judge them. And in this film... The people that they know, people that they interact with, are changing on a daily basis. And the more the movie goes on, the more they realize there's something bigger going on. And their ability to change this outcome uh, is, is really something that they can't control. So it is a downbeat movie, but it is very powerful. And there's one really cool sequence that's really well scored where Jeff Goldblum, Goldblum's character breaks off from the group so the others can get away. I love that sequence. It takes place, this version, in San Francisco. Uh, Kenneth Moore, who starred in the original film, does a cameo in the beginning of the movie. And there's also some really unique cameo by Robert Duvall, who plays a priest, basically swinging on a swing in the beginning of the movie. He has no speaking lines. He's just there. But uh, (laughs) this is one of my favorite films of the 70s. I love it as a horror film. And it's one of those movies I always watch at Halloween time. So that is my... Number five, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Number four, I went with The Shining, and I'll tell you why. The Shining is a movie that I never saw in a movie theater until a few years ago, and I'm associated with an independent uh, movie house, an art house film, uh, theater that uh, I'm the CFO, and I'm on the board of directors, and I do a lot of programming for it in East Stroudsburg. It's called Pocono Cinema. So I've done 150 revival showings of classic films over the last five years. So we booked The Shining, it's been a long time since I've seen it, and I sit down and I watch it, and I got to tell you, you have not seen The Shining, Victoria, until you've seen it 
in a movie theater. It I is can a see totally that. Yeah, claustrophobic, hypnotic yeah. experience directed by one of the most interesting directors who ever got behind a camera, and that's Stanley Kubrick. Uh, it's very well known fact that Stephen King had issues with this film version because Kubrick takes a lot of liberties mm. with the story. Uh, it's no doubt that uh, Jack Torrance, the character played by Jack Nicholson, goes bonkers uh, very quickly into the film. Very different that was in the novel, but in terms of atmosphere, in terms of spookiness, just isolationism, whatever you want to call it, this movie really captures that feel, Uh, and I think it is, and I use this term rarely, but I think The Shining, seen in a theater, I would regard it as a masterpiece. I love the casting of Shelley Duvall, a, a very unorthodox actress, but I think her chemistry in this film with Jack Nicholson is really unique and it's no secret that Kubik was a very uh, controlling uh, type genius director who was hard on his actors and he'd have the actors like Nicholson do one take in each scene 40-50 times a simple take Mm. over and over and over again. I've heard that about him yeah and Shelley Duvall you know many years after the fact said it was in a grueling grueling shoot but uh, and then one other fact that people may not know about this film that the Overlook Hotel, the setting of this movie, was actually shot on sound stages in England. So they recreated the look of a hotel, which is incredible. And it was one of the few few first uses of a, a process called um, uh, Steadicam. And there's a shot in the film that has to be seen in a theater setting where Danny, the little boy, is riding a big wheel tricycle oh, around yeah. the hallways. And he goes from uh, a carpeted uh, square uh, multicolored rug to wood. And the sound would go on a rug silent to on the wood. You hear this. Wheel. Yes, that's right. And, I remember that. Yeah. And, and when you see the camera on the big screen and the tricycle scene, it is a fascinating beautifully shot movie. So I love The Shining. That's my number four. Number three, I actually went with Halloween 2 from 1981. I love the original film by Carpenter in 78, and Halloween 2 makes it feel like one four-hour movie, or actually three-hour movie, 90 minutes apiece. But uh, I just, something about Halloween 2, I like watching on Halloween, directed by Rick Rosenthal, who I think did a really good job, although Carpenter came in and did some of the reshoots to make the Maury movie a little bit more graphic to get in tone with the violence uh, that was set by Friday the 13th that came out in 1980. If you remember in 78, Halloween, the original film, really was a bloodless movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, very it well was. shot, suspenseful. The cinematography was incredible. But it really has no blood. Most of the violence is implied. Halloween 2, the violence is right there. The bathtub, uh, I mean, the hot tub sequence, Carpenter went and uh, put that sequence in. The uh, hammer sequence to the security guard's head, and then there's a needle sequence through a doctor's eye in the movie, mm-hmm. all injected by Carbon to, to basically be in, in touch with the new slasher-like mentality set after Friday the 13th in 1980. But I really dig Halloween 2 uh, and the, the sequence in the hospital when Michael Myers breaks through that glass doorway to come after Laurie Strode and Dr. Loomis. I, I just dig it, so yeah. I put that as my number three. Now, number two, a movie... That I love and I consider a masterpiece. And that's George Romero's 1978 movie, Dawn of the Dead. Now, in New York City, Victoria, in the late 70s, early 80s, there were two movies that always played at midnight. One was the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which still plays to this day. Mm -hmm. And the other movie that played at midnight was George Romero's Dawn of the Dead, his sequel to the 68 classic Night of the Living Dead. This one is more epic, epic in scope. They shot it. At the Monroeville Mall in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, George Romero had a friend who controlled the mall, and they shot most of the sequences from midnight to 7 in the morning, off hours. And this movie uh, has tremendous social commentary, great atmosphere. Ken Forte makes, I think, for a great hero. Um, is a complex movie that I think is unique considering the fact they shot it for less than a million dollars. It feels so wow. much more in terms of scope. But for people who haven't, saw, who haven't seen George Romero's Dawn of the Dead, I didn't see it in a the theater. I just saw it on uh, VHS at the time, but I did a private screening at our theater uh, last year. I think it holds up incredibly well. The original trilogy, trilogy of Romero, which is Night of the Living Dead, 68, Dawn of the Dead, 78, and then you had Day of the Dead, 
from the 1990s. I love that original trilogy, but Dawn of the Dead, to me, is the best zombie movie ever made, so I put that as my number two. So also, in upcoming episodes, we're going to be talking more about different niches of horror flicks, and when we get to zombies, that's your forte. I'm assuming Dawn of the Dead will make it into your top five as well? No doubt about that. (laughs) (laughs) See, now, I'll go to my number one, which for me is a no-brainer. This is not only my favorite horror movie of all time, but it's also one of uh, my all-time top favorite movies of all time, and I think one of the best movies ever made, and that's The Exorcist from 1973, which in a lot of ways, Victoria was more than just a feature film. It was a cultural event, and if you look at this stat, which is amazing, 110 million people paid to see The Exorcist in the United States and Canada back in 1973. People literally lined up around city blocks in New York City, literally around the block, waiting to get in to see this movie. People passed out. People were shocked. People fainted. Uh, I know this sounds somewhat hyperbole to say that in 2017, that any movie could have this effect on the conscious of the American public. But The, but the Exorcist did. And what makes it so amazing is that it's a hard R, a hard R movie. But the reason this movie works both is a great movie uh, and also a horror film, is it never really feels like a horror movie. It just feels like a real movie, real-life mm-hmm. events. The stakes are very high, basically about a woman, uh, a working actress uh, uh, in, in the movie played by Ellen Burstyn, a terrific actress whose daughter gets pos- may or may not be possessed by Satan himself, the daughter played by Linda Blair, who is 12 years old at that time, does an amazing job in this movie. The makeup effects are incredible. Uh, Director William Freakin pulls no punches whatsoever with the graphic tone and Mm -hmm. violence. Uh, The violence is not only graphic visually, but psychologically. I don't think there's ever been a movie more disturbing unleashed on the American public than The Exorcist. I simply love the performance of Jason Miller as Father Karras, one of my favorite all-time uh, characters in a movie. And I think it's interesting that the place and time when it was set, uh, the, the country was at a very turbulent time back in 1973, actually in the early 70s, you're dealing with the Vietnam War. And then a year before, you had a movie, which is my favorite film of all time, The Poseidon Adventure, dealing with a priest who was in crisis. And you get the same thing here in The Exorcist a year later to Jason Miller, character playing a priest in crisis mm. who's losing his faith And I think his characterization in the movie is the heart of the film and the ending of that movie where he's pounding on the possessed girl for the Mm -hmm. soul, her soul to jump into him. Uh, It's just an incredible scene. But uh, this is a masterpiece of a film, I think, that holds up today. And I think it's the best horror movie ever made. And like I said, I still believe The Exorcist is one of the best movies ever released. So that's my number one. So number five, Invasion... uh, Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go. Give us a recap. Yeah, number five, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the 78 version directed by Philip Kaufman. Number four, The Shining, directed by Stanley Kubrick. Number three, I went with Halloween 2. Number two, George Romero's masterwork, Dawn of the Dead from 78. And number one, William Friedkin's The Exorcist, Jason Miller, Ellen Burstyn, a great film. It is, and I, you know, I, I have always traditionally been very afraid of scary movies, and everyone sort of makes fun of me for it. But I recently, within the last year and a half or so, saw The Exorcist, and I loved it. And I thought it was a, an amazing psychological thriller. I thought it had a lot of heart to it. I, I thought it was heartbreaking at times. I thought the, the going after, the, you know, the Catholic Church the way that it does. I thought that was really controversial. And then, like you said, when you look at the time frame that it actually came out, that was kind of crazy to me. The most shocking thing beyond the the, the horror or, or the violence or any of the psychological aspect, I can't believe that American audiences were able to tolerate a twelve-year-old girl saying the very perverse and sexual things that she says in that movie. I mean, I my jaw would dropped at that. That's really what shocked me the most in 2016 when I saw it that I was like, oh my God. I mean, it would be it would be kind of surprising to see a little kid saying things like that now. But back then, I can't even imagine the shock value that it must have had. I mean, it, it offended everybody, I guess. I mean, and, and you bring up a, a really good point, because when you look at how many people went to see this movie, clearly it expanded a hundredfold from just a standard core horror type 
audience. You got, uh, you know, the majority of the general public went to see this film in a movie theater back in 1973. Clearly hit some sort of a nerve. I mean, it's a different era. Social media was non-existent, but for whatever reason, in the consciousness of the American public, people knew that this movie existed, that uh, it was extremely well-received, that it was shocking, so on and so forth. And But they showed up in droves to see The Exorcist in a movie theater. And I think well-rewarded, uh, again, is simply a, a great movie. And and also, to, speaking to that exact point, you sent me some incredible footage of audience reactions from seeing The Exorcist, and you weren't joking. I mean, the lines went around city blocks. They had police involved, you know, getting people, roping them, snaking them in and out of a line. They had ushers talking about holding smelling salts because so many people were fainting. It's it's a It was a cultural phenomenon. So we're definitely going, I'm going to make sure we post that video of the audience reactions uh, to The Exorcist. It is super cool. So make sure you give us a follow on uh, at City Slickers Pod on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. It's all the same at City Slickers Pod. So we'll get to, we'll wrap up our episode one here with my top five Halloween movies. They're not all traditional scary movies, but they are five movies that I do like to watch as soon as Halloween, as soon as there's a chill in the air and a pumpkin is in a patch, <laughs> I ne- I need to start watching <laughs> some of these movies. So number five, I don't know how you feel about this. I don't think we've ever talked about this movie. The Witches of Eastwick. I love this movie. I love the cast. It's Cher and Susan Sarandon and Michelle Pfeiffer and Jack Nicholson. I love witches in general. Uh, I, it's set in a quintessential New England town. It's uh, I've actually been to the church where they filmed it. It's in a, a town called um, uh, Chatham. Is it Chatham? No, Hingham. It's in Hingham, Massachusetts. It's a beautiful old colonial New England town. And it is, to me, this movie never gets old. I think it's it's creepy, but it's also funny at times. And I just think that, I don't know, as soon as I love, I love witches, like I said. So as soon as I want to start watching something with witches, I always end up going back to Eastwick. Are you a fan of this movie or what are your yeah, thoughts I, on I, it? I like it. If, if, you, if you take... Uh, this is clearly one of Jack Nicholson's signature roles. If you take yes. out, uh, besides Cuckoo's Nest, Batman, The Shining, and A Few Good Men, this would probably be his uh, top five signature role in film. It's been a vast career, but the star power is off the charts in this yeah. movie. Nicholson, Cher, Pfeiffer, Susan Sarandon. It was very well received in a big box office hit in its day. Yeah, it's cool. So number four is our only crossover between both of our lists. I went with Halloween 2. I loved Halloween 1 and 2. I watched them back to back, which did, like you said, made me feel like it was one long movie, which I really liked. Halloween 1 felt like a prequel. It really, it does a nice job of setting up Halloween 2. But for me, Halloween 2 is when all the action starts and it's it borders on, it's not too much violence, but it's a good amount of suspense. I love Jamie Lee Curtis. And I just thought that the, the way the story continued in Halloween 2, I think it's kind of like a, a perfect horror movie. So if you haven't seen any of the Halloween franchises, I don't, I don't even know how many they've made now, right? I mean, it must just be, is it Halloween 6 or Halloween 7? They keep bringing them back. I, I think, think Jamie nine. Lee Curtis I think, is coming. I think it's, I think, I think it's nine or ten. Uh, Halloween one, two, like one continuation. Halloween three, three, they went into the anthology uh, realm where Michael Myers did not return. Return, although they used right. He's not in that one, right? Didn't make a lot of money, although over time people have regarded that film as uh, pretty good. It stars an actor named Tom Hankins. Uh, Tom Atkins. I like it. They're gonna make. Uh, She's Another back, Halloween I think you told scene. me, right? She, right, she, she's coming back. Uh, from what I read, though, it might be a direct continuation of revisionist history. They're going to ignore everything that came after the first film. So as much as we like Halloween 2, oh. we might have to take our Blu-ray and throw it in the garbage pail. <laughs> <laughs> well, my number three is a, there's no violence at all, but it is a true suspense thriller. I remember I watched this in the movie theater with my mom. We went on a girl date and both of us were like kind of grabbing the arm, the, the, the armchair thing. And we were just like, this is so intense. It's called The Others, starring Nicole Kidman. Really no one else recognizable in the cast, at least to me. But I thought that this was just such a classic horror thriller suspense movie. It's um, it's to me the most unique, and I'm not going to give it away in case people haven't seen it yet. But to me, it was the most unique spin of a ghost story that I've ever it's seen really, in a movie. I, 
I agree with you. It's a really good movie. This is another film that was well received. Nicole Kidman does a really good job. Yeah. As the uh, lead in the film, she she for the most part always does uh, good work. This movie was a hit, and it's really good, and it holds up. And see, it's funny you say it was a hit because like I feel like I don't really know many people who've seen it. So I'm not sure if maybe I just was really I missed the boat or my group of you friends missed, the missed boat it. On that one. I guess you, so. You, you and your friends missed the boat. It, well, uh, it, it, ma- it made it made some coin in theaters. It actually good, did. good. Well, number two, another Nicole Kidman starring vehicle. <laughs> this one, all of my friends have seen. We are all obsessed. We watch it as soon as like late September hits, all the way pretty much through the end of the year. Practical Magic. This is Sandra Bullock and uh, such an amazing cast. Nicole Kidman, Sandra Bullock. Uh, Stockard Channing, Diane Weist. It's just, if you like witches and you like that New England vibe to it, I think it's just a, a perfect kind of movie. Aidan Quinn is also phenomenal in it. And I could watch this movie over and over and over. I often do. And I never get sick of it. I can't tell you I watch it over and over, but I'm sure the marketing campaign went something like this. For people who loved Hocus Pocus, you got yourself yourself some practical magic. (laughs) That could be true. It is girly. I'll give you that. It's girly, but hey, it's good. And my number one movie that I have to watch every Halloween is Sleepy Hollow, the version starring Johnny Depp. It's a Tim Burton film. Johnny Depp, Christina Ricci, an unbelievable cast. If you liked uh, Tim Burton films, you'll see a lot of actors that you'll recognize and to me it is there is nothing more Halloween than the Headless Horseman Christopher Walken is the best villain in most of the movies he's in he's great in this I just I I get the goosebumps from it it's another New York film I mean it's I've been to actual Sleepy Hollow I don't know if you've been but I've been to the the graveyard where uh, Washington Irving was buried and where he sat and and basically sat in that little Dutch colonial church where it's where the movie movie pretty much takes place towards the end and the actual covered bridge which isn't actually a covered bridge in real life but it is a bridge where he imagined the headless horseman charging in towards the church and it's really an incredible day trip if you're in the tri-state area in the fall the foliage everything that's my tourism recommendation as well as a movie recommendation that is my number one so my five to one best halloween movies witches of eastwick number five halloween two chucker and i both shared that one on our list number four number three the others it's a suspense thriller with Nicole Kidman. Number two, Practical Magic, one of my favorite movies ever. And number one, Sleepy Hollow. It's a good pick. I like that movie actually a lot. And it's interesting because Tim Burton, the latter half of his career, has been really up and down. That one's one of the ups, and I agree with you. Depp's really good. Christina Ricci, who I like a lot. I I think she's a very appealing talent. And uh, Christopher Walken, always good. Good pick. I like that film. Good. Well, happy Halloween, everybody. This is episode one of City Slickers with Chuck and Victoria. Make sure you give us a follow on City Slickers Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can subscribe to City Slickers at blogtalkradio.com slash City Slickers Pod. And make sure you follow Chucker at Poseidon72. You can follow all of his movie mania on Twitter. And you can follow me as well on Air Victoria. Don't forget, hit subscribe and make sure that you follow City Slickers. And we will be back in another week. Thanks a lot, Chucker. We'll talk to you guys soon. You got it. Had a lot of fun. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.